Hi everyone, welcome to the Snowball Wealth Podcast. Here we talk about how to manage debt and start building wealth, especially if you're the first in your family to do so. My name is Tanya Menendez, and on today's podcast, we'll be covering money trauma with Dr. Lisette Sanchez, a bilingual licensed psychologist and coach. I've known Lisette for many years, and she's also the founder of Calithia Wellness, a virtual practice providing individual therapy and coaching services. Dr. Lisette grew up in the San Fernando Valley with immigrant parents from El Salvador and Mexico. She's the first in her family to finish high school and pursue higher education. And she is on a mission to destigmatize mental health, especially for first generation professionals. Welcome to uh, the podcast, Lisette. Hi, Tanya. I'm so happy to be here and I'm happy to talk about this really important topic today. Yes, money trauma is one of those things that we just don't talk about enough. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't even realize you have money trauma until you're in it, right? And you're like, oh, shoot. So I'm so excited to unpack this super important topic. But I actually want to start with you. And, you know, I love starting these conversations with a little bit more personal stories. So I'm curious, you know, have you experienced money trauma and Or if you haven't, like, how would you describe your money mindset and how that's changed over time? Yeah. So let me, let me talk about my money mindset over time because money trauma, uh, you know, the way that people define it, people look at it really differently, but it basically is just around when you develop any kind of worries or um, any kind of mental health distress around finances. Right. So that's specifically that's what most people are referring to when we talk about money trauma. So for me, my money mindset growing up was really based around a lot of scarcity. It was, you know, we, we save every penny we have. Uh, we do not we are very afraid to make big purchases. And that that was just a result of work of growing up in a working class family. Uh, my parents had multiple opportunities to make investments, to purchase homes, and homes that, you know, at that time were priced <laughs> for, for someone to be able to afford, right? It was very different, I think. Um, and, and that is actually one of my parents' biggest regrets, is not purchasing a home when it was more financially viable for them to do so, um, but at the time, I remember as a kid seeing my parents struggle with this decision and deciding not to, because there was this fear of there will be a point where what if we can't afford the mortgage, then we will not have a home. And so instead, you know, we continue to live in that one bedroom apartment that I grew up in. Um, But yeah, my mom always looks back and wishes she had made a different choice. Mm. But for me, what I think back to is how much of the fear I saw around Mm. big decisions with finances and how I carried that with me over time. And so that's something that I've had to work through. I've had to work through feeling comfortable with spending some money, with um, taking out big amounts of loans when it comes to schooling and education and understanding which where it made sense to make the investments. Where would I actually get my return on my investments? What made sense for me? I was investing in myself. So that was the initial path through overcoming that mindset. And now... Now that I'm a professional, I have, you know, I'm a licensed psychologist, I, I have work, I, I, I have financial stability. And now with financial stability, I have that sense of safety. So those decisions are still there to make big purchases, but I feel more and more comfortable. Now, I don't make impulsive 
like it's hard for me to make any impulsive spending uh, decisions. But every now and then, you know, I'll treat myself to something, but it has to be pretty small amounts. I'm not doing an impulsive like hundreds of dollars spent expense. Um, anything that's higher, I still have to think about it. But that's the way that I've grown through it. And now my mindset is more around growth and uh, abundance. I, if I need more money, I will make more money. Uh, if I need this, it, I will figure out how to make it happen versus what if I run out? I love everything that you shared there. And I think something that really resonated with me was witnessing the fear, right? Because I think that, um, so I'd love to unpack that more because it's something that we also see for our premium you know, coaching clients and people that join premium. And like, when we have some of these, like, you know, more in-depth conversations, like a lot of it sometimes comes down to like the fear, right? Either fear of doing something wrong. And so you stick with the familiar. And so people then that sometimes manifest in people continuing to spend month to month, or sometimes it's the other fear of like still doing something wrong, but instead um, doing something familiar, which means like, hoarding or like keeping all, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash in a checking account, not investing or, you know, so I think a lot of it, the root cause sometimes can be fear for a lot of just like money decisions. So, you know, I want to hear first, like how you think about the framework of, you know, overcoming fear and having a relationship with fear and how that sometimes can help with overcoming some of these money traumas. Yeah, no, fear fear is real. And honestly, it's one of the biggest, uh, biggest factors that informs the anxiety that people experience around their finances. Uh, I don't know about you, Tanya, and if this happened with you, but I know that when I was still a student and when, you know, I was still in that scarcity mindset, I was terrified of checking my bank account. I just did not like looking at it. It would stress me out looking at it and having to think about, you know, oh, I can't afford this. I can't do this. I can't do it. It, it felt like it was so limiting in many ways. Or, you know, that dreaded message of, did I overdraft my account? And not because I, and what's hard is that I've always tried to be really responsible with my finances. And so I share this, that even as someone who is, works really hard to be responsible, is not necessarily making these really big purchases, uh, was still terrified of looking at my account every so often. That um, is such a common experience where like sometimes people, it's just like this anxiety in your head and you just don't, you're almost like to the point where you don't even want to check, right? It's easier to ignore it and to say like, oh, that's a problem for maybe future me. But then, you know, <laughs> future me eventually comes. So that's when, you know, you have to you know, begin doing something different. Uh, so, you know, what is your advice? And I'm, I'm excited to hear, because I think that, you know, what I've noticed is that different ways that we describe things and like overcome things will resonate with different people. So sometimes, sometimes someone has to hear, you know, three different strategies on like how to overcome fear to like pick the one that resonates with them. So I'm curious to hear just a few of the like ways that, you know, you would, advise or recommend that someone like tries to start to face this? Yeah. So what I'm going to talk about is essentially known as exposure therapy. So I think for, for the most part, that's in most, most people have heard of something like that in some capacity. So the more we are afraid of something and the fear is fueled by the unknowns. And so the more 
I guess the more of the curtain that you pull back, the more clarity that you develop, the actually the less scary it becomes, basically the less power the fear has over you. So when it comes to, for example, this fear of checking your bank account, and I share this because again, it was common for me, common for a lot of the clients who I work with. Most of the examples that I give, they're not just my examples, they're also examples from people who I've encountered in, in this type of work when we're overcoming money or trauma or money anxiety. And so it is that exposure. It's, okay, what is it that triggers my fear the most? How do I take baby steps towards becoming more comfortable with doing that? So if what triggers you the most is looking at your bank account, then starting to develop this habit of setting maybe a reminder to look at your account. And maybe you see the reminder and you're like, I'm not ready. But that's step one. You have this reminder to help you get started on that exposure to overcoming that fear and eventually developing a habit. Now, I don't think the habit needs to be that you're checking your account every single day or multiple times a day. It really depends on what works for you, but it is about reducing the fear around it. So one strategy is basically to do more of the things that scare you, um, especially when it's something that, let's be honest, logging into my online banking account takes less than a minute. It's less than a minute for me to just look at it. I don't have to do anything with it, right? Um, and so it's just having that awareness. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to finances. You don't know what you can do about it if you don't know where you're at with it, right? What's What should you actually be afraid of? Uh, so strategy one, you said three strategies. I'm going to try to come up with three, but I definitely have two that I can think of top of mind. So the second one or my second strategy is... Uh, to recognize what is it that you're doing maybe too much of. And with this is you notice maybe you're constantly ruminating about something uh, and how do you then begin to do a little bit less of it? So with finances, actually, this, this, this might seem counterintuitive, but bear with me. So let's say you're someone for, for whatever reason with your money anxiety, it requires you to check your account constantly because mm -hmm. you're worried. That's true. That's, and it happens the opposite. Well, yeah, that's yeah, right. But it happens right. the opposite way. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You're worried. You're like, how much money do I have? How much money yeah. do I have? And, and it's almost this compulsion to check your account mm -hmm. frequently. Just, and I need to think about it and talk about it and like do all this research on it. But there's one thing when we're researching something to educate ourselves. And there's another time when we're researching something because we're overthinking and ruminating and overwhelming ourselves. Now, when you're edu so you have to understand that line, right? Like, are you learning or are you stressing yourself out? If you're stressing yourself out, then it's time to take that step back. And, and start to do less of it. So if I'm checking my bank account 20 times a day because I'm worried that something is going to happen between one hour to the next and my money will disappear, the habit that you're wanting to build is to check it less frequently and yeah. get to a point where you check it at a pace that makes sense for you. I love that. I love that. And I think that, you know, it reminds me of there's a few, and I'll actually share some strategies too that that we've seen, and I'd love to hear your um, thoughts on them. But one of the things that we've seen that helps is um, often when people have some money anxiety or some money trauma that they've experienced in the past, it tends to pair with negative self-talk. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we encourage um, you know, our community to reframe and like take like negative self-talk and put it into more positive self-talk. So 
instead of saying like, I'm so, you know, bad with money, you could say like, I'm learning about money and I'm, um, you know, I'm going to be, and I get better and better at it each day. And so I think like starting to shift and like, I think to your last point and like being aware of your thoughts and how they may be influencing your actions, I think, um, is really important. And, um, and then I think the second piece, and I think that we also do like baby steps. It's just like, if you can't transfer, you know, a thousand dollars today, you can transfer $10 today to your savings. And that's a step in the right direction. And so I think like removing the all or nothing mentality of like, I have to do everything at once. And as you ever, you know, it's, it can, you know, you can start with like one step in making progress. Um, and then, okay, one last one that I think I'll share is um, I think that starting to think about your money scripts and how, like, what are the narratives that are replaying in your head that, like, are impacting your identity? So sometimes people will come, you know, to us and are looking, I think, in, in essence, for, like, a slight identity adjustment where, like, they don't want to feel like they're out of control with money anymore, right? And they don't want that to be a part of their identity. They want their identity to be, like, I am a financially responsible person and I am a part of this community that is, like, full of financially responsible people and I am on the right track. And so I think, like, starting to think about your identities and money scripts is something else that we, we try to focus on as well. Yeah, no, I agree with all of these. And and as you were sharing, and and I had I had a moment. It was like, yeah. yes. So what what you described, all of those thinking patterns, they're they're known as like clinically or in the mental health, it's they're unhelpful thinking styles. Uh, the clinical term are, is cognitive distortions, mm. or in, in in everyday world, what we refer to them as are limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. But um, I won't go through all of them because there's so many and the examples you gave are perfect for what we're discussing today. Mm-hmm. But for those of the folks who may be listening or watching this later, uh, if you search unhelpful thinking styles or cognitive distortions, you will come up with a list of common. And so something that will come up is something like what Tanya mentioned is this all or nothing thinking, um, or maybe a bit of catastrophizing. And so if any of these sound like something you've experienced, I, I encourage you to look it up a little bit so that you can think about which are the money thinking patterns that you engage in that cause you distress. Um, and these also maybe relate to other mental health or other emotional stressors. But when you're looking at it, since we're talking about money trauma, think about how you feel about your finances when it comes to these. Um, and something else that came to mind as you were talking, Tanya, was community, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think originally this is so interesting because when you asked me the question, I thought of, well, what can someone do for themselves? Mm-hmm. What is most powerful is to not be isolated in this experience. Mm-hmm. I think that's what your platform and what makes it so powerful is that it has such a strong community aspect to it. Yeah, you're right. Because it is, you know, you don't you don't always think about it, but the people that you surround yourself with influence your thoughts. So mm-hmm. if you keep seeing someone that's just complaining or like saying mm-hmm. everything that's going wrong, that's all you're going to think about, right? Versus someone that's like having these wins and trying to make yeah. progress. That's, or at least like trying to move in the right direction. It, it can impact your thoughts too. So it's, it's um, yeah. amazing yeah. how this all works. Science. Um, but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And you uh, feel less alone too, when you have that, you're not the only one 
going through financial challenges. And you're not the only one. Let me just be clear. You are not the only one. I am not the only one. Everyone has their own struggle. And it's nice to not feel so alone in that process, one. And two, it is really nice to be around other people who are also as um, more goal-oriented when it comes Mm -hmm. to their finances because that's accountability. Mm -hmm. And I think you're so – like, I'm really glad you reinforced that because I think that is – a common thought is that like, I'm the only one, I'm a failure, I'm not doing the right thing. Like, and like these just scripts that run in your head. And when you take a look around, you're like, wait a minute, everyone's figuring it out. Everyone's at different stages. Like it's, you're, I'm going to be fine. I just need to take a step forward. And I think, yeah, I love that you mentioned that. Cause like, I think that isolating can make, can sometimes make it even worse. Right. Cause you can just stay in your, but okay. So switching it up a little bit, I'm curious you know, I know that you're a first-gen college grad. You focus in on first-gen um, communities. And so I am curious to hear how you see it showing up specifically for people that are the first in their family to go to college. Yes. Uh, so a little bit about my work with first-gen. Uh, a lot of my work with first-gen is really focused on breaking generational cycles. Uh, and when I think about finances, it's breaking generational cycles of financial trauma, of where it came from. And, and that can impact everyone. So while we're talking about first-gen professionals, generational cycles, financial trauma are across everyone, right? Because everyone can be impacted by their environment. And so, for example, if we think back <laughs> almost 100 years now, um, when there was the like Great Depression, that impacted a lot of people's relationship with money, whether and their trust in uh, banks or like government agencies, right? And so then that then was inherited through certain like families. I remember when I was a kid, the discomfort that my family had with credit cards, for example, because they were new too, right? And so I remember my, I had, to, I had my own reservations. I was like, oh, I shouldn't get a credit card, which honestly, looking back, it's probably a good thing that I had that <laughs> reservation because it was so scary. But, but in terms of, again, like through those generations, sort of what their belief systems are and what they trust is sort of how you will develop that trust or comfort with. And so with first gens, you see a lot of the the scarcity mindset often, especially if they're coming from families who had limited resources. Um, Something else would be around the, I I guess it would be the fear around how how did, where do you get the, where do you learn? Where do you actually go learn how to invest your finance, like your money? How do you work your money, what to do with the little bit of money you do have. That's another barrier for individuals because they just say, who do you trust with that? Especially again, if you're raised to like, well, if I go to this bank, are they really looking out for me or are they going to give me advice that's going to benefit them? You know what? And you're right. And like, there was actually a few, um, you know, just historically, even the countries that sometimes people are coming from may have different banking systems and different beliefs and different trust ways to trust uh, levels of trust and everything. And um, so I, I think that I love that you focus on going deep into it's not just even your lived experience today. It's actually beliefs that are centuries old or like generations old that continue to get passed down. And so how do you become aware of them and break them now finally? Yeah. So I love I love, I love that you broke that down. Um, and I think related to this, I'm curious to hear, you know, the, there's 
many, many millennials, like 53% of millennials were supporting their family members during the pandemic. 77% um, of Latino millennials were supporting their family members during the pandemic. So like, I think that, and I think it's similar stats for immigrant families as well. And so, um, you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts around, um, you know, being first gen and wanting to break some of these cycles, but at the same time, wanting to support family members and wanting to have healthy boundaries and kind of setting a good example for everyone. Like you want to help, but you also want to build wealth. And sometimes that can feel like it's in conflict, but it, you know, we know it's not, but it can feel that way. So I'm curious to hear like your advice on, or just like your thoughts around this and then potentially some ways that we can set healthy money boundaries. Can you repeat the, the, the question? I want to make sure that yeah. I answer. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just saying that, like, you know, many people support their family members, you know, financially. Mm -hmm. And so how do we set money boundaries? Mm -hmm. And how do we have a healthy relationship with supporting family okay. while still investing in ourselves? Okay. All right. I got you. Um, something I think that was coming to mind uh, that, that I didn't mention earlier that can impact this dynamic is also the the belief some sometimes people especially from immigrant cultures or cultures that maybe value humility more view money negatively um, and money money is not the answer to everything money is a curse for some people that's how they view it so I want to honor that belief as I talk about how, how to set the boundaries or how to support families because um, when I work with the first gens right a big part of the work is having to reconcile the, the values they were raised with and, and the values that they have developed in their life experiences and what they're learning. Now, one of the biggest challenge is that that, that, that creates a gap between the first gen and the, the parent or the caregiver, whoever it is that they're wanting to support. Um, and so that makes it sometimes a little bit harder to communicate. Like what I'm doing, I'm doing this to help. I'm doing this because I want to do better and because I value family, um, whereas for some families, they might see it as, you know, your quest to make all of this money or this journey, what that does is takes up so much of your time. And now we don't get to see you anymore. And, mm -hmm. and then giving them a bit of a guilt trip over that mm -hmm. right? and saying money doesn't matter. Time with us matters more. And, and what, what is happening then again, it's that conflict of the values. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're setting these boundaries, you will likely experience, or most people experience, at least in first gen, mm -hmm. um, that conflict between the values they have and the values that their families have. So understanding that the boundary setting all already is an experience that causes a lot of guilt for people because they're mm -hmm. doing something differently. It can feel a bit intensified when you'll feel guilty for setting the boundary. And then, you know, your family member, loved one tells you that, you should feel guilty because you're prioritizing money over family mm -hmm. or something because mm -hmm. that's how they see it. Not that, that may not be how you see it. You see it as wanting to create stability, maybe wanting to retire family members early, maybe wanting to, you know, create a sense of safety, but they see it as you, I don't know, you sold your soul to capitalism and <laughs> that's not what matters most. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you brought this up because, um, you know, actually, even in some of the programs I participated in in college and high school that were supposed to help first-gen college grads, 
they sometimes had this like kind of thoughts around these or I guess the it was communicated that you know money isn't everything and um but also and actually one of the things that you mentioned really resonated with me is the conflict and I remember the first time I had that conflict with my parents in terms of values was when I got into UC San Diego where we met and um but they wanted me to stay local and they wanted me to stay you know, close by. And that was important to them. And that, you know, they didn't want me to leave home, but I had to make that decision for me, right? I'm like, okay, I want to go to this university because of X, Y, Z, and I'm going to make this decision. But it's scary, you know, because, you know, you are going against what your family values are and like the human primal aspects of not having, like, are they going to, you know, disown me if I do this? Are they going to be upset with me? Am I going to have a bad relationship with them if I go, even though that's what I want to do? And so, like, that, I remember that first moment that I had that, and there were a few others after that because it gets easier, you know, to understand what you need versus what they need. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to hear, like, how some ways to navigate those conversations and just how you're, you think through it. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for sharing that story, because I think that that resonates so much because that was similar to me. It's literally the same thing. It's, but you're not going to live at home and do it. You're going to go somewhere. Um, and, and having to make that decision, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough decision, right? And some people um, were able for, for different reasons to move out and to like leave and other people had to make a different choice um, because of different obligations, right? Um, but when you, regardless of your position, as you get older, right, wanting to learn how to set more boundaries with family, especially when it comes to finances or, or just your time and all of that. So one is normalize. It's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable or a lot uncomfortable, and just accepting, accepting this is an uncomfortable request that we're, we're asking you to engage in. But that discomfort leads to peace. That discomfort leads to inner peace. And so uh, know that when people say, please set boundaries, they are helpful for you. The guilt comes from the people-pleasing tendencies that maybe someone has developed or has grown up with, but there's nothing to feel guilty about when you are setting a boundary that to help meet your needs, right? Mm -hmm. So when setting boundaries with families, one, it's understanding you're going to be uncomfortable. Two, it's knowing that you may have to set the boundary multiple times and perhaps in different ways. Uh, and the way that I explain it to folks is we all learn differently, we all communicate differently. And perhaps when you communicated in the first way you communicate, that doesn't fully resonate for the person who you're setting that boundary with. You know, for example, let's say, let's again, we're talking about a parent. And, you know, I don't know about you, Tanya, but I definitely have a mother who I still talk to every day, but would, would call me a bit too much when I was in college and going through it. And so I remember setting this boundary with her of, but when my phone will be on to not disturb, that means I'm not available. That does not give you permission to call everyone who you think might be around me to ask if I'm okay. And so I hate laughing. It's like, like so sweet. Yeah, it's like such you know? a sweet thing that she's trying to, you know. But like, yeah, it's, um, you know, so yeah. parents have different parenting styles and um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, what comforts <laughs> them or what helps, you know, they're trying their best in keeping you safe and Exactly. <laughs> so I know that's where it's coming from. Yeah. You're worried. I get it. But I'm also okay. And and so needing to learn how to set that boundary. But mm -hmm. uh, 
but it was hard. It was hard initially because she did do the thing where she would call other people to be like, yeah. is my daughter okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, Mom, you can't do that. Like, I'm okay. And you trust that I'm okay. We are checking it. Like, I, st- I still talk to my mom every single day. Um, and if the brief calls, we do a check-in. Um, and, but I've learned, but, but, but they happen when I'm available. They don't happen, you know, whenever my mom has now learned, oh, you're busy. If you don't pick up, you're busy. Uh, if you don't, you know, or, or we'll, we'll text, it'll be something, but later. Um, but it, but that works for me. I'm okay with that. Now, other people may say, no, I don't want to message this person every single day. I want more stricter boundaries. And you set that, right? So again, this works for me. I'm okay with it. I like my daily check-ins. I'm happy with them. Uh, but like I said, other people maybe want weekly or monthly check-ins, mm-hmm. but it took a lot of conversations. It took setting boundaries in different ways. Sometimes that meant that, you know, first boundary was attempt to have a conversation. Second boundary was putting my phone on do not disturb or on airplane mode or shutting it off or creating a physical barrier of some sort. Um, then, then I try to also then explain to them, like the reason that I need this time is because I'm working because I try to remind myself, you know, being first gen means my, my family doesn't fully understand what I do in my day to day. And they don't actually, they don't know what it means for me when I can be interrupted or not, et cetera, et cetera. And so in, in educating them with that. And so you can set the boundary by having a conversation. You can set a boundary by having a physical type of boundary. Um, and especially if the, if the person maybe is, has a bit more challenges with respecting your boundary. Um, but the way I always talk about it is, you know, we all learn differently. We all need to hear things sometimes multiple times. And so don't feel discouraged when you have to set a boundary over and over again. Um, it's it's part of the process as the other person is learning. Um, there is a fine line, though. There is a point where you start to feel like, oh, this person does not respect me. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a different mm-hmm. type of boundary and conversation that we set. Um, and, and then that goes back to your values. Like, is this a relationship that is important for you to maintain in your life? Or is this a relationship that causes you so much distress that not having that relationship in your life would bring you more peace? That's a really difficult decision. I can't give any quick tips on how to make that decision, but noticing that the the type of boundaries I'm talking about are with people who, you know, you want to make it work and you want to keep them in your life. But I understand that there are sometimes people who are in our lives whether or not we're related to them, who just do not actually, are are not fulfilling relationships. And sometimes stepping away from those is the boundary you need to set. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, you know, going into, I know we just have a few minutes left, but I wanted to make sure that we talked about how, I know something that comes up often in our community is I like past money mistakes that keep kind of replaying for people sometimes in their head. And, um, and so how to be, what, what are your tips on forgiving past money mistakes? Oh, forgiving past money mistakes. I, um, you know, what I tell people when we look back at, at anything that we've done, right? You look back at something and you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. You like cringe a little bit. Uh, that I refer to as a growing pain. It's a growing pain because the reason you have that reaction is because you are no longer the same person you were who made that decision at that time, right? So in that, to approach that, it's important to approach it with a lot of compassion and looking back and thinking, you know, I was doing the best I 
could with the information I had time. I did what I knew. And now I know more and I'm realizing that that was maybe not the best choice, right? If we're thinking about a mistake, maybe you knew it was a mistake pretty quickly after that. But in the moment that you made the decision, right, you made the decision and, and, and then you have, you know, the debt to pay off or, or whatever, whatever comes after the fact. But step one is for forgiving yourself. You have to have a lot of compassion and understand that the person who made that decision felt that that was their only choice. Mm-hmm. No, most of the time felt that was their only choice for whatever, however you rationalize it. And, and the person who you are now is, is working on, you know, recovering from the mistake that they made, but we all make mistakes. It's normal to make mistakes. This is how we learn. Some mistakes take longer than others uh, to come back from, but they, but for the most part, again, there, I know there's unique situations that can get very challenging, but for the most part, there are mistakes that you can recover from. Mm-hmm. And so forgiving yourself is having compassion and then focusing on what is in your control moving forward now, right? Uh, if it was a big debt that you like like have now, then what are ways that you can begin to pay that off? Uh, that may and that may mean additional sacrifices in the moment for you. Maybe that means you don't eat out and you cook all your meals at home. Honestly, that's healthier for you. So it's also a health conscious choice. But <laughs> you're, you're cooking at home. You're doing. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I love your simple framework on that. Honestly, because I think, um, like, uh, I think that sometimes, yeah, reminding yourself and having compassion, and kindness towards the person that made that mistake, and knowing that you know from now on you're going to be doing better and you've learned from that and are moving forward is sometimes the only thing that people need to hear right and to hopefully this helps someone out there today you know overcome a money mistake or feel better about you know moving forward from it um so to wrap up i'm curious if if you have any final tips or advice and then i would love for you to also share how people can get in touch with you how they can work with you and um yeah and i'm hoping that we can have another conversation again soon yeah of course I um, final tips and tricks. You know, all all of this takes time, right? Any any kind of healing that we do for any sort of trauma, it will take time. Uh, just just like with most things in life, they take time. I know that we often, you know, are are very like a, a shortcut can feel very attractive, um, but from what I've learned, at least in my experience, it's like things. It takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, and a lot of time. And so learning about money, investing the money, making money, losing money, it all, I mean, I guess maybe losing money happens more quickly, um, but, but everything else, it just takes time. And, and so for those of you who are listening, if you're listening to this and you're feeling like you're connecting with some of this, it's like, I hope that you can be patient with yourself on this journey. And it really is about simple, flame, simple frameworks to help you uh, because life is complicated enough as it is. It can be that simple. And trust me, it always is easier said than done, right? Like, so I'm like, oh, it's just this. I know it's so much harder than just <laughs> this, right? Um, but it's yeah. making that active choice of say, I want to be kind to myself today, right? Or those different affirmations people choose. So that would be my, my, my final tip. Just like everything takes time and that's just part of the process and that's part of life. And accepting that makes things a little bit easier. Yes. And um I think the other part is like, how can people find me or contact me? Um, so my uh, handle, my social media handle is just like Dr. Lisette Sanchez. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok. 
And uh, you can also email me. It's just drlissa at calatheawellness.com. And I'm sure we can just put these in the show notes so people have access to them. And um, yeah, but please reach out to me. I um, am taking, I'm, I'm open to speaking engagements into the new year. I love doing speaking engagements on the imposter phenomenon, on money trauma, money anxiety, um, generational trauma, and uh, just destigmatizing mental health, and especially all within first gen and BIPOC communities. And so in addition to that, I am, I am also, you know, a licensed psychologist and I do therapy. Um, my case was currently full, but hey, maybe by the time you're listening to this, I'm not. And so if you're in California and you're looking for a mental health professional, you can also check me out and see if I'm available for that. Um, but that would be some of what I want to plug for today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it was such a pleasure. And um, I'm really glad that we had this conversation that doesn't always happen, you know, in some of these spaces. So I'm, I'm really happy that you were able to set, shed light on some of money trauma, um, you know, understanding what it means and also some solutions on how to overcome them. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I will chat with you soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Snowball Wolf podcast. If you're interested in getting started on building wealth, check out our mobile app in the App Store at Snowball Wealth or online at snowballwealth.com. 